Hello, my rebels. Today, I uh, take you through a tweet, a single tweet by the Saskatchewan Health Authority. Now, you might say, boy, that's, that's not enough to talk about a whole monologue about. Well, no, I think it shows a lot. I think it shows the thinking of the government and the way that the government has published this tweet in a way that's impossible to reply to normally. I think gives away the game. I'll take you through it. That's ahead. But first, let me invite you to become a subscriber to Rebel News Plus. Just go to rebelnewsplus.com, eight bucks a month, and you get the video version of this show. I think it's interesting. You also get David Menzies' show, Sheila Gunn-Reed's show, Andrew Chapados' show. And um, you get the satisfaction that your $8 a month goes to keep us independent. All right. Tonight, I'm worried about the declining credibility of doctors. It's October 19th, and this is The Ezra Levant Show. Why should others go to jail Why? when you're a biggest carbon consumer I know? There's 8,500 customers here, and you won't give them an answer. The only thing I have to say to the government about why I publish it is because it's my bloody right to do so. I'm worried about the declining credibility of doctors, individual doctors, not because they are morally weak or morally evil, far from it. I think that doctors, and I mean real doctors that practice real medicine every day, especially general practice physicians who get to know their patients over the course of time, family doctors, pediatricians, that kind of thing. I think they're amongst the most trustworthy people around, especially those who get to know a particular patient enough that they truly fit the prescription to the person, not jam a person into a prescription. There's always been some moral hazards around for doctors, though. If you've ever looked around a doctor's office, you surely see endless little knickknacks emblazoned with the logos of different drug companies. Did you ever notice that? Just like realtors have fridge magnets and calendars and mouse pads and pens that they give out for free as a kind of marketing, well, pharmaceutical companies do that too. To doctors, they literally have salesmen going from doctor's office to doctor's office, and of course, they're giving things much more valuable than just a free pen. Here's a story from just before the, the COVID pandemic, uh, but it was when there was another made in China pandemic, one involving highly addictive drugs called opioids. Some were illegal, but some were prescribed. Look at this story, this is from the CBC. Drug company founder convicted of bribing doctors with money strippers to sell more fentanyl. That's one kind of opioid. Let me read a little bit. A pharmaceutical company founder accused of paying doctors millions of dollars in bribes to prescribe a highly addictive fentanyl spray was convicted Thursday in a case that exposed such marketing tactics as using a stripper turned sales rep to give a physician a lap dance. Some of the most sensational evidence in the months long federal trial included a video of employees dancing and wrapping around in an executive dressed as a giant bottle of the powerful spray Subsys and testimony about how the company made a habit of hiring attractive women as sales representatives. Here's a story from a few months later. Um, we found over 700 doctors who were paid more than a million dollars by drug and medical device companies. ProPublica has been tracking drug companies spending on doctors since 2010. We just updated our database and found that companies are still paying private doctors huge sums for promotional talks and consulting. Here's global news. The 10 largest pharmaceutical companies in Canada gave more than $151 million to doctors and hospitals across the country over the last two years. But unlike the U.S. and many European countries, Canada has no legislation compelling drug companies to reveal which healthcare providers got money or what it was for. Huh. Now, all three of these stories were from 2019, right before COVID hit. They were talking about other drugs, obviously. Do you think there's a teeny tiny chance that drug companies are doing the same thing now with doctors? Free trips, cash, speaking fees, really just money laundering. It would be surprising if they weren't. So there's that sort of corruption. But the bigger threat, of course, is not strippers or bribes, 
but rather from colleges of physicians and surgeons, the regulators of the medical profession, threatening to destroy any doctor who expresses an opinion that is contrary to the government. This is explicit. This is exactly what these doctor certification, doctor oversight boards are saying in public right now. If you ever say, for example, as a doctor, that the Nobel Prize winning medicine called ivermectin is useful against COVID, even if that's your honest opinion, maybe even based on experiments, I don't know. Or if you give a medical exemption to someone where a politician says, no, you can't do that, you will lose your right to be a doctor and you will be smeared and defamed by the board of doctors. We, we spoke to one such doctor just a few weeks ago, remember? Physicians uh, are banned from giving any advice to patients or the public uh, that could be construed as anti-vaccine, anti-distancing, anti-masking, uh, uh, or promoting what they call unfounded treatments. And this is unheard of, it's unprecedented. Um, the, the medical community is, is very used to um, having free and open debate around uh, scientific issues, around treatments, because treatment recommendations change from time to time. Yeah, you don't have to destroy more than a half dozen doctors across Canada to get the rest to shut up pretty quickly, do you? But it's one thing to be scared into silence or passive, but what about actively engaging in hoaxes? Like filming a fake ICU overcrowding, a video with the CBC full of mannequins, not people. Something strange is going on in healthcare. These people were heroes, to the establishment at least. In the UK, they had this thing where everyone would go outside their house in the evening and bang on pots and pans in a symbolic thank you to nurses and doctors. That's, that's what it was like. I'm just grateful for nurses and doctors. Of course, I think everybody is. But you kept seeing TikTok videos filmed by nurses and doctors and hospital staff at hospitals in empty wards. And it made me skeptical. Made me a little bit mad, to be honest, because it put a lie to the rest of it, that we were truly in a crisis, that we were overcrowding. This video I'm showing now is one of the most elaborate. I think it was filmed in, in Europe somewhere. They had literally hundreds of hospital staff participating in it. Must have taken days to film. Uh, I think they filmed it with drones also. I mean, that's, that's the effort you put into a rock video. So my point is, listen, I'm glad for the nurses and doctors, but something's a bit off. It doesn't quite look like a pandemic to me. There was a kind of a lie behind it, you know what I mean? I remember this funny old sketch from Monty Python. Um, this is what I always imagined a pandemic to look like. I know this is a comedy, but something like this. I'm not dead. What? Nothing. Here's your ninepence. I'm not dead. Yeah. He says he's not dead. Yes, he is. I'm not. He isn't? Well, he will be soon. He's very ill. I'm getting better. No, you're not. You'll be stone dead in a moment. Oh, I can't take him like that. It's against regulations. I don't want to go on the car. Oh, don't be such a baby. I can't take him. I feel fine. Well, do us a favour. I can't. Well, can you hang around a couple of minutes? He won't be long. No, I've got to go to Robinson's. They've lost nine today. Well, when's your next run? Thursday. You think I'll go for a walk? You're not fooling anyone, you know. That's a silly comedy, but isn't that a little bit more of what a pandemic looks like than TikTok videos? Well, if you think that's absurd, where we are now is the weirdest, from, from heroes to zeros. 20,000 nurses in Quebec are about to be fired. Now, they hesitated at the last minute, they've delayed it a bit, but what do you think that would do to the healthcare system in Quebec? It makes no sense unless you truly do want a health crisis. If you really do want a terrible situation, no time for TikTok videos then. Maybe you want an excuse to bring in 20,000 foreign nurses and their families. That's probably 100,000 migrants right there. Extrapolate that across the country. You'll get rid of the most independent-minded, the most dissident nurses and doctors. Weed them out, replace them with grateful migrants who owe their new home and new job to the government. You tell me another sane explanation for this crazy plan. 
So I'm worried about the reputation of doctors and nurses because something's not right. I'm not so much worried about the grassroots doctors and nurses, but the bosses, the, the fancy ones, the ones who run hospitals and long-term care homes, the ones who would have been taking the million-dollar bribes from the opioid companies and who are surely being targeted by vaccine companies now. Use AstraZeneca. No, no, use Pfizer. No, use Moderna. Tens of billions of dollars are moving around. And the fame and the celebrity, I think that's even more intoxicating to doctors than money. Being a TV doctor, a TV star, from anonymity to fame, maybe you'll get your own show. You too can be like Anthony Fauci. He's a star. You can be on the cover of a magazine too. But I'm worried that we just can't trust doctors as much, at least not all of them. It's not good. It isn't good for public health or for personal health. Look at this. This is a tweet from Saskatchewan's Health Authority. If you can see what this is, at the bottom is a Trudeau ad for the vaccine. It says COVID vaccine helps protect you from getting sick with the disease. Even if you're young, healthy, and fit, the vaccine will give your body a layer of protection that it didn't have. Get vaccinated and help protect everyone. Now, you can haggle over that. You can dispute it. There are opinions in there. There are simplifications in there. But it can stand up as an honest opinion. It doesn't talk about side effects, especially for young men. It doesn't tell you that young men are six times as likely to have to go to the hospital from a vaccine reaction as from the virus itself. It doesn't tell you that f many foreign countries are banning certain vaccines for young men. So it's not fully honest, that's Trudeau for you. But on top of that Trudeau tweet is one from Scott Moe, the Premier of Saskatchewan, through the Saskatchewan Health Authority. And it says, your risk from COVID-19 is not determined by age, fitness level, or community. Your risk is determined by vaccine status. 78% of all new cases and hospitalizations in Sask in September were unvaccinated or partially vaccinated people. Is it true that your risk from the virus is not determined by age or fitness level? No, that is not true. In fact, that is completely false. It's overwhelmingly an old person's disease in terms of severe illness or death. Average age of death is around 80, but it's more than that. It is a fat person's disease. It is a sick person's disease. Alberta has some of the best statistics for that. Um, by far the most victims of COVID-19 are not only old, they have three or more underlying serious conditions, heart attack, stroke, dementia, kidney disease, things like that. These are literally the, li the least fit people in society, the oldest people. This is not controversial stuff. It's, it's what we know universally throughout Canada. COVID-19 targets old people, fat people, sick people. Sure, young people can get it, but in many cases, they don't even know it. They don't even notice it. They certainly don't die in the same numbers. But the Saskatchewan Health Authority said, your risk from COVID-19 is not determined by age or fitness level. That's a lie. That is a dangerous lie. That is misinformation. That is a deliberate distortion to sell drugs. I don't know. I wonder if they got a stripper dance for that tweet. I don't know. Can you explain it? You know they know they're, you know that they know they're lying. Because look what they did. They banned anyone from replying in the normal way to a tweet. I don't know if you're on Twitter, but you can reply. They ban that. You see where they ban comments from the public? I've never seen them do that before. That's so weird for a health authority to stop people from replying. Why would you do that? You knew. You knew you were up to something. They want to hide their lies, but people saw. Thousands of people have quoted this tweet with their own response. I don't know if you can see that number there. Now, here's my simple response. I said, misinformation, fake news, conspiracy theory, anti-science, because it's all those things. And if you would have said the other side, you'd be off Twitter. Many other people have used stronger words, lots of people showing science. But look who is liking this. I just picked one example. Saskatchewan Health, University of Saskatchewan Health Services and other medical authorities, they know it is a lie. Why are they repeating the lie? They know it. Well, did you ever read that book, 1984, by George Orwell? A test of loyalty was to look at something and to say it was false. How many fingers am I holding up? Well, it's four. But they're going to torture you until you say five. To say five to show your loyalty to the party, or you will be punished until you do. Not because the party thinks this is five. They know it's four. 
They know that you know. They know that you know that they know. That's the whole point. Can they break you? Can they make you complicit in your own undoing? Here's the last sentence from the book, Winston Smith, the hero, finally learning to love Big Brother. I'll quote. He gazed up at the enormous face. Forty years it had taken him to learn what kind of smile was hidden beneath the dark mustache. Oh, cruel, needless misunderstanding. Oh, stubborn, self-willed exile from the loving breast. Two gin-scented tears trickled down the sides of his nose. But it was all right. Everything was all right. The struggle was finished. He had won the victory over himself. Yeah, the Saskatchewan Health Authority, they, they know the virus doesn't target everyone equally. They know better than anyone. And they know that you know. And they know that you know that they know. That's why they block the replies. This is why this tweet is important. It is a test. Will you say what they say and do what they do? Will you submit and subvert the truth to their lie? Will you pass or fail their test? That's what they're doing. Well, last night, Alberta held its municipal elections. That's basically every town and city. It's not particularly interesting, although Edmonton and Calgary are important cities. But at the same time, Alberta held a plebiscite, really, on who should serve it in the federal Senate. Of course, that's not a decision to be made by the province. That is the power of the federal government. So it's something that Justin Trudeau could certainly well ignore. At the same time, there was a referendum on to take Alberta's temperature, really, on the issue of equalization payments. So what would normally be probably a, an unremarkable evening of local votes has, uh, I think, more meaning in joining us now to talk about the results is our friend Sheila Gunn-Reed. Sheila, how you doing? I'm great, Ezra. Thanks for having me on the show. Well, it's my pleasure. I am um, originally from Calgary, but I did spend some time in Edmonton. I went to law school up there, and I, I did some work after law school at a law firm there, and I got to know both cities. And so I'm very sad to see that a liberal hack named Amarjeet Sohi has the, now the mayor in Edmonton. I'm not that surprised because Edmonton's a little mo bit more left-leaning. But Calgary, to see yeah. a Nahid Nenshi mini-me successor flatten the so-called conservative candidate, that makes me despair a little bit. Because if you can't win a conservative town like Calgary, well, where are you going to win? And I wonder why that is. Do you have any thoughts on why the liberal left candidates won in both Calgary and Edmonton? Well, Edmonton, as Ralph Klein rightly pointed out one time, when he said Edmonton is a nice city with too many mosquitoes and socialists and that just comes from being the government town it's where all the public sector workers are it's always been left-leaning even back in Ralph Klein's day that's just how it is um, it's really frankly it's a miracle that even federal conservatives get elected there once in a while so that's sort of a write-off although it is interesting to see a failed liberal cabinet minister who was once on Edmonton City Council Amarjeet Sohi get elected in Edmonton when he is so upfront about being anti-oil and gas and anti-pipeline and I think in Edmonton and Calgary the the real winners are probably the Parkland Institute and the Pembina Institute those um, left-leaning institutes that get all sorts of municipal money to tell you just exactly how much recycling you need to do and how low flow your shower heads are and how to retrofit your house with things that will make it more energy efficient but in Calgary the the mayor-elect Giotta Gondek she her it, I think she was elected like 16 or 17 hours ago. And she's already talking about declaring a climate emergency in Calgary. And so you know what that means. That means more bike lanes. It means lower speed limits, more expensive and useless recycling scams. Calgary's in for re, like a real wild ride. And I think she will be the leader of the official opposition here in Alberta, even more so than Rachel Notley is, because Rachel Notley is widely disliked in conservative circles. Gondek isn't quite there yet, and 
if we thought that Kenny and Nahid Nenshi had a prickly uh, relationship, I think it's going to get much, much worse between Jason Kenny and the city of Calgary. I just find that baffling. I mean, listen, Calgary is a city like any other city, but it is, I think, the most conservative big city in Canada. Yeah. It is where Ralph Klein came from, where Stephen Harper came from. Stockwell Day wasn't from Calgary proper, really, but he, yeah. I mean, it was sort of a base for him. Um, I, you know, the Taxpayers Federation, historically, the Reform Party was born there. Uh, social credit, if you want to go back a century now. Um, the Manning Center spent gazillions of dollars, I'm not sure quite what, doing what. Like, it's, it, it's where right-wing That's right -wing an interesting think, point. Right-wing things are supposed to happen there. Go ahead. Yeah, you know, that's an interesting point, though, when you bring up the think tanks, because I think a lot of the problem here is in Calgary is that conservatives uh, like have sort of walked off the field of municipal politics. It's really just a left wing thing. Conservatives tend to focus on provincial politics and the macro federal issues. But really, the government that affects you first and most is the municipal level. And yet. There's really no fundraising for the next up and coming conservative leader on that level. The public sector unions, particularly the very powerful municipal ones in Edmonton and Calgary, they dump money into uh, PACs or third party advertisers to help their preferred candidate. There's none of that happening at the conservative level. The money just isn't there. None of the businesses are donating to the conservative organizations to sort of cultivate a new conservative candidate. And then the business community wonders why they're getting stuck with all these extra taxes when they didn't rally around the conservative of their choice or, uh, you know, the potential conservative candidate. Mm -hmm. But also, I think some of this has to do with the wide dislike of Jason Kenney and it's trickling down into municipal politics. I really do. Anybody that sort of was even closely related to the UCP and as was the case with Jeremy Farkas, um, nobody wants anything to do with them. And you can see the flip side of this playing out. So the conservatives, the UCP did not really get involved in the referendum question on equalization. And you would normally think they would have been really pushing for the yes side of that, like the yes side. Yes, we need to get equalization out of the Constitution. But they didn't really lobby and campaign on that. And I think that's to the benefit of the yes side winning, because I think they were so widely disliked. But that is a conservative issue. So when conservative voters are willing to vote on a conservative issue, in favor of it, but not for a conservative politician. Houston, we have a problem. Yeah, I, I think also there's some Jason Kenney fatigue and some sure. Aaron O'Toole fatigue. And I think that's largely demoralized conservatives. And Jeremy Farkas, who I think would have been a better mayor in Calgary. Definitely. And, and Edmonton had its conservative candidate who, who um, came closer, if I'm not mistaken. Um, they could have been bolder conservatives. I think that sure. uh, I I think that someone who styled themselves as an anti-lockdownist. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe that would have gotten them crushed. But I just feel like if you're not really a conservative fighting hard, why would people be motivated to help you? And the left certainly never stops putting the pedal to the metal. There's never been a time in my 49-year life where leftists and progressives and communists and socialists, whatever you want to call them, haven't always had their pedal to the metal full, go as fast and as hard as you can. They never rest. They never tire. They're like the Terminator. They never compromise. You can't bargain with them. When you make a concession to them, that's the new starting point. The left never rests. And the right um, has self-doubt and goes on a holiday and screws up and, and turns liberal. And I, maybe that's part of it too, but it's terribly depressing to me to, in, the, in the most conservative province in the two big cities to vote in leftists like this. I find it troubling and I don't think it reflects the city, but maybe I'm wrong. Maybe that's Alberta these days. Well, I, I really don't think it is. I don't think it is. And I think the referendum question sh sort of plays out the fact that this is really not who uh, Alberta is. They just really don't like the offerings that conservatives brought forward for them. I think that's what happened here. But this 
election really should have been a wake-up call for the conservative voter and i hope to heck it's a wake-up call for conservative politicians both federally if they didn't already learn something and you know never underestimate the ability of federal conservatives to not learn anything but i i hope it's a wake-up call for jason kenney and the ucp because this is coming at them right away in about a year from now that's Um, a great point yeah they're terribly unpopular they're terribly unpopular and they need to learn from what just happened federally and what just happened municipally and maybe try to do something different. But it really should have been a wake up call for the conservative voter because long before Jason Kenney was imposing vaccine passports on people, it was the mayors and council who were sort of saber rattling and putting pressure on the provincial government to bring those to you. And so as a conservative voter or conservative-minded people, they really should have realized that this patchwork quilt of onerous restrictions all across the province, those were born at the municipal level because conservatives have not put in place people who actually care about civil liberties at the municipal level. And that's where a lot of these civil liberties infractions were happening. Yeah, you know, I think again of Ron DeSantis in Florida, of course there's different cities and counties and school boards across Florida, some of which are Democrat controlled, some are are very authoritarian, but Ron DeSantis has sort of flooded the zone and, and has said any school board that forces masking we will fine you, we will withhold funds from you. Um, any, any company that has a vax mandate, we will punish you. So um, Ron DeSantis wasn't happy to leave it to local authorities if those local authorities were tyrants. He said, I'm gonna stop you. But that's the difference between showing conservative leadership and courage and Jason Kenney's bizarre, staggering approach. And I think that it was a victory for Amarjeet Sohit and Johnny Gondek, a victory for the left. But if I was a UCP backbencher, I would now know. I mean, not think, but know in my bones yep. that if Jason Kenney leads the party into the next election, they will be crushed like a bowl of eggs. And so maybe they don't care. Maybe they want to be an opposition MLA from, you know, Stetler, Alberta. It's a great town or Drayton Valley or Oyen, Alberta. Great places. Bicycle, you know, Turner Valley. There's wonderful places to be a conservative MLA and you will be a conservative forever. Mm-hmm. But you'll just be in opposition. So if you're fine being a backbench conservative party MLA, that's fine in opposition. That's fine. You're fine. But if you don't want Rachel Notley to win in, what's it, two years now, year and a half now? Mm-hmm. You better fix that ship. And that captain ain't right. And I say this as a guy who's known Jason Kenney for most of my life. For 30 years we've been friends. And if the party doesn't throw him overboard and have a mutiny, then he will take their little ship and steer it right into the iceberg. That's what I see clear as day. I think you're right. Uh, And I think those MLAs need to hear from their constituents. Um, I don't know how much they're listening, but they do need to hear from their constituents. And, you know, it's interesting to see, even on the referendum question, the urban-rural divide is taking place again. Um, For example, the equalization question... uh, the yes side was upwards of 70% in the more rural municipalities and 58% in Calgary. I think if Jason Kenney doesn't step down and if there isn't a leadership change, you are going to see that party crack apart back into the PCs of old. They'll probably keep the same name that they have and a, a devolution back into like Wild Rose versus PCs and guess who always comes up the middle when that happens. That's how we got Rachel Notley. So things have to get sorted out before those rural MLAs say, I got to leave because I need to save my, sh- my shirt. That's what's going to happen here. Now there was a Senate plebiscite, Senate election. I, I, did, I haven't seen the results to that. I, um, I looked and I couldn't find them, but I didn't spend a lot of time on it. Do you know how that Senate election result has come down? I haven't seen the final results yet. Um, 
they're sort of waiting on that along with the finalized um, plebiscite numbers, for example, the the thing that nobody cared about. We also asked a question about um, daylight savings time. Literally nobody cares about that except when you change the clock. But I do know that the um, PPC candidates who also ran, they finished around four to five percent. So it'll likely be another con- a conservative blowout in that respect with the yeah. Senate candidates. Well, I mean, um, I believe in Senate elections. In fact, 25 years ago or so, I was the Senate campaign manager for Preston Manning. The, the vehicle then was called the Reform Party of Alberta, funny enough. And uh, although Jean Chrétien stuffed those seats right in the middle of the campaign as a real thumb his nose of Alberta, Stephen Harper eventually made good on that election. So I think it is not a valueless exercise. It shows the state of the province and how the East despises any attempts at reform. Mm-hmm. But I think that those um, conservative senatorial candidates, uh, I think that they do have a chance of eventually being appointed if history is any guide. But all in all, a disaster night but uh, we have our work to do Sheila that's for sure we always do you know uh, the most important thing that we do here is we fight for freedom and we fight for the little guy and I think that Edmonton and Calgary electing two very serious pro lockdown mayors that means we've got a lot of work cut out for us because even if provincially they lift the vax pass mandate they will remain in these two cities I'm sure of it yeah Yeah, it's terrible. All right, Sheila, great to catch up with you. Thanks for your help. Thanks, boss. There you have it, Sheila Gunn-Reed, our chief reporter. Stay with us. More ahead. Fearfully, Kate says, Dr. Hinshaw has left the building. I don't think Dina has been making any decisions other than to submit for quite some time now. Dear Dina, Dina, stop letting these people own you. Be courageous. You don't want to be this person. Go out with truth and dignity. You deserve better than this. Well, look, I don't know. I don't know Dina Hinshaw. I don't know if she's Kenny's boss or if Kenny is hers boss. I think it may be a little bit more like what Teresa Tam is. And as you know, last year we showed you, uh, through an access to information request, Teresa Tam's contract with the United Nations World Health Authority. She actually has a non-disclosure agreement she signed with the UN promising to keep their secrets. She was actually on the board that voted as to whether or not to declare COVID-19 infectious to people or not. That was in the early days in January of 2020. So she's keeping UN secrets at the same time she was working as Canada's uh, public health officer. I think that Theresa Tam really didn't make any decisions on her own. I think she was really the UN World Health Organization spokesman in Canada. And I think the provincial public health officers were just sort of deputies of her, and then city health officers were deputies of them. I I don't think there was a lot of independent thinking or research going on at all. I think it literally was follow the flock, like birds line up naturally. I think every public health officer was in lockstep with the other. I I honestly don't know what they all do for a living other than repeat the same talking points. Couldn't you have like an intern do that or like an app? Um, Perseus 09 says, if I lied to the government about anything, I could expect to be fined or even arrested for it. Interesting how the government itself is exposing their own double standards, bandits to the core. Well, that's the thing. Lying is not a crime. That's the weird thing. You are allowed to lie in Parliament. What you're not allowed to do is call someone a liar in Parliament. That's called unparliamentary, uh, uh, that's a violation of parliamentary privilege or unparliamentary language. I'm worried about the lies, um, but I'm also worried about the immunity that the drug companies have managed to get from the government. So it's one thing to mislead people about the safety or efficacy of of a vaccine. But what happened if you're compelled or duped into taking the vaccine and are harmed and you cannot sue the vaccine companies because they're indemnified? I find this a troubling time. That's our show for today. Until tomorrow, on behalf of all of us here at Rebel News World Headquarters, good night and keep fighting for freedom. But before we go, let me leave you with a great video of Alexa Lavoie in La Belle Provence. Good night. On est tissé, on est déjà de cœur. On va changer des choses. 
Puis nous, on est ici surtout en soutien aux employés, du personnel de la santé. Nous, on est quand même, on a une certaine proximité avec eux. Puis on anticipe l'avenir pour pouvoir conserver là, nos, droits, nos droits et libertés et nos choix. On a tout gardé notre emploi, puis on travaille pour la population. Donc, euh, c'est ça. Et une mois, ça change absolument rien dans notre vie. Et le gouvernement essaie de prendre la revanche, mais pour défendre nos droits et nos libertés, ça change absolument rien cette mois. On va continuer. It's uh, around 1 p.m. We are at Terrasse du Frein uh, in the Haut Quebec. And as you can see, like thousands of frontline workers are there to protest against the mandatory vaccine that was supposed to be in on the 15th of October. But Christian Dubé decided to postpone for the 15th of November. I don't know what will change, but it's a fact. This protest will have a march until like the Abraham Field, so we'll follow it. Aujourd'hui, je m'intéressais à savoir, justement, pour ceux qui sont les frontline workers, comment vous viviez, ou que vous vivez encore aujourd'hui, la différence entre les vaccinés non vaccinés avec vos collègues? Je vous dirais, j'ai la chance d'avoir des collègues de travail qui sont relativement respectueux, parce qu'ils savent que je les respecte, ils savent que j'ai une certaine crédibilité, puis qu'ils respectent mes valeurs, mais je pense que c'est pas pareil partout. Puis nous, on est ici surtout en soutien aux employés, du personnel de la santé. Nous, on est quand même, on a une certaine proximité avec eux. Puis on anticipe l'avenir pour pouvoir conserver là, nos, droits, nos droits et libertés et nos choix. Euh, moi, probablement, c'est moins dramatique parce que je suis dans le service technique. Mais effectivement, je suis pas mal seul qui reste avec mon point de vue sur cette problématique. Euh, Certains collègues, ils me supportent, certains, ils restent neutres. Je n'ai pas d'agression, je n'ai pas de pression. En tout cas, dans mon environnement, c'est comme relativement bien. bien. Les collègues qui sont vaccinés et qui étaient pour rester aujourd'hui, si on n'était plus là, ils étaient vraiment... Euh, ils ne savaient pas où ce qui s'en allait. Là. Plusieurs étaient vraiment à l'arme dans la semaine de dire, ben dire euh, qu'est-ce qu'on va faire. C'est quoi le plan? Il n'y en a pas vraiment de plan. Oui, il y a un plan. Là, où est-ce que je suis? C'est plus de bain du tout, plus d'activité pour les résidents. Puis là, le plan allait suivre là, dans les prochaines semaines après qu'on aurait pu être là. Mais là, on est reporté d'un mois. Bien, c'est sûr que nous, euh, on accepte tout le monde, mais on ne sent pas que c'est réciproque de la part des gens qui sont vaccinés. Euh, on garde l'esprit ouvert, on accepte que les argumentaires des autres personnes. Puis c'est normal qu'il y ait euh, des arguments contraires, sinon ce serait plate que tout le monde pense toujours pareil. Sauf qu'on sent, on se sent plus comme attaqué et oppressé quand on en discute que l'inverse, je pense. Moi, je suis au privé, à domicile. Moi, je suis chanceuse, j'ai un employeur qui en ce moment ne, 
ne poussent pas à la vaccination, mes patients non plus. Mais de ce que j'entends de mes collègues qui sont à l'extérieur du privé, qui sont au public, pas mal la même chose là, que ma belle-sœur. Euh, la même chose, là, ils coupent partout, euh, les filles et les gars, les gars qui décident qu'ils ne se font pas vacciner. Mais euh, eux autres, ils se demandent « qu'est-ce que je vais faire tantôt? J'attends-tu? J'attends-tu pas? » Ils sont vraiment là... Euh, beaucoup sont essoufflés. Ils sont, 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 sont à bout dans tous les sens. Ils ne savent plus où se pitcher. Tu comprends qu ce que je veux dire? C'est côté financier, côté travail. Qu'est-ce qu'on fait là? Perte de salaire? On change, si on change d'emploi, c'est où je m'en vais? On s'entend que c'est vraiment pas, euh, pas évident. Puis même si on va aller ailleurs, là-bas aussi, comment ça demander le passe? Fait que c'est vraiment là, un stress immense. En fait, ce qui, est, ce qui est un peu dommage en ce moment, c'est que euh, ce qu'on essaye de montrer aux gens, c'est qu'il faut, faut qu'on soit tous unis. Vacciner ou pas vacciner, c'est pas important dans, un, dans le sens où euh, on devrait tous garder notre emploi puis on est tous aussi importants, on est tous égaux. C'est ça qui est triste en ce moment. Le support qu'on n'a pas, qu'on trouve de nos en, des, des employés, euh, des, de nos collègues, dans le fond, c'est ça. C'est qu'on dirait que les gens... Eh oui, et des employeurs et du syndicat, c'est qu'on a l'impression qu'on n'a pas de soutien. Euh, parce qu'on croit que vacciner ou pas, il n'y a pas de différence dans le sens où on devrait tous garder notre emploi puis on travaille pour la population. Donc, euh, c'est ça. penser justement du fait qu'il ait changé la date, il l'ait repoussé à un mois pour la vaccination obligatoire. Qu'est-ce que vous pensez de ça? J'espère. J'espère qu'il y a un, un peu d'humanisme chez les politiciens puis qu'ils commencent peut-être à écouter qu'est-ce que la population leur dit. Ils commencent à se rendre compte qu'il faut respecter les droits et libertés des gens, qu'il y a peut-être des conséquences qui sont importantes sur la majorité de la population, qui commencent à peser le pour et le contre des conséquences. Donc, on souhaite qu'on soit écouté, puis que les gens commencent à, 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 à se réveiller. Je pense que c'est un wake-up call général de la population. C'est plus juste une question de vaccin ou non. C'est une question qu'au-dessus de tout ça, la population est en train de se diviser. On est en train de créer un climat, un climat de terreur, d'agressivité. Euh, moi, je suis... C'est le combat de nos vies présentement qu'on qu vit. C'est malheureux, euh, c'est... Il faut vraiment que les gens se lèvent et que les gens réalisent, réalisent qu ce qui se passe, qu'on est en train de perdre la, la liberté dans un pays qui est démocratique, mais qui en est plus une depuis deux ans. Parce que je cherche le mot pour répondre pour, comme, avec les politesses un peu. <rire> oui, parce que quand même, on ne change pas les idées. Et une mois, ça ne change absolument rien dans notre vie. Et le gouvernement essaie de prendre la revanche, mais pour défendre... Nos droits et nos libertés, ça ne change absolument rien, cette mois. On va continuer. Bien, j'ai hâte de voir le résultat de leur recrutement. Là. Ils, ont eu, ils, ils ont eu de la difficulté à recruter pour aider pendant la pandémie. Moi, je, je fais mon cours là, présentement comme étudiante, comme infirmière auxiliaire, parce que c'est la pandémie qui m'a poussé à dire, mon Dieu, j'aurais pu en faire encore plus si j'avais été infirmière auxiliaire, pas juste préposée, mettons. Puis trouvez-les, vos gens. C'est ça, je leur dis, trouvez-les, trouvez-les. On les attend parce que les gens ont été soufflés. Ça fait longtemps qu'on était soufflés en santé, qu'il manque de personnel. On a des surcharges de travail. Euh, nos, nos directrices, euh, nos assistantes qui sont assis dans les bureaux à faire euh, leur paperasse, là, qui, qui, ils ne sont pas sur le plancher. C'est des infirmières, là, ces gens-là aussi. Là. Fait que venez-vous en. Venez-vous-en sur le plancher. Venez nous aider. Euh, Trouvez-les, recrutez. Essayez de les trouver. C'est ça que je dis. Bien, je crois en fait que c'est une victoire pour nous parce que ça montre juste que pendant 30 jours de plus, je suis soudainement plus dangereuse comme j'allais le tomber aujourd'hui. Puis là, tu as dit que je peux rentrer au travail en me faisant dépister deux à trois fois semaine. Donc pourquoi le 15 novembre, on ne pourrait pas poursuivre dans la même lignée? Donc je crois que c'est quand même un, un gain pour nous, mais c'est quand même un couteau à double, à double tranchant dans le sens où nous, pendant les deux derniers mois, on est stressé à tous les jours de plus en plus avant que la date butoir arrive. Puis deux jours avant que ça arrive, il nous... Il nous arrive avec ça, on est content, puis on est quand même... Est un, un couteau à double tranchant, un petit peu, je crois, parce que d'un côté, comme ma collègue dit, on a, on, on, on est, on a, c'est une victoire, je trouve, autant pour euh, le domaine de la santé au complet que la population. Parce que, bien évidemment, 
Je crois que le gouvernement il a réalisé qu'il euh, ne pouvait pas se permettre de, euh, de congédier autant de personnes puis de nuire à sa population. Euh, personnellement, j'espère qu'ils vont le réaliser qu'ils euh, ne peuvent pas se permettre ça pour le reste de, de la vie, là, dans le fond, de, le reste du temps, puis que ça va juste être euh, stoppé complètement. Mais l'autre côté qui est triste, mais c'est là qu que ça nous donne encore plus de poids et d'arguments, c'est qu'il y a des gens qui se sont déjà trouvés d'autres travails, puis qui ont fait les efforts, ils ont été obligés d'envoyer leur CV à plusieurs endroits. Euh, même, même nous, ça nous concerne, on, a, on essayait de trouver un, un, un autre travail. On ne veut pas nuire aux, aux, aux employeurs des autres travails qu'on essaye de chercher en leur disant oh, « ça se peut qu'on reste pas longtemps, ça se peut qu'on reste longtemps ». Puis euh, c'est le côté qui est triste, c'est toute la préparation derrière ça. On est des mois et des mois qu'on stresse à savoir si on va garder notre emploi, si on ne va pas le garder. Puis au final, il nous repousse. Je trouve que euh, la bonne manière d'expliquer ça, c'est qu'il joue avec les vies des gens. Puis ça, c'est le, 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 le point que je trouve triste, c'est qu'ils se permettent de jouer avec la vie des gens puis de dire oh, « on leur fait faire ça, on leur fait pas faire ça ». Ça, c'est pas correct, c'est inacceptable. Je pensais qu'il va arriver le 15 novembre s'il si, euh, ne repousse pas et qu'il annule pas la, la vaccination obligatoire. Je pense que malheureusement, il y a des milliers de travailleurs qui ne rentreront pas au travail cette journée-là. Absolument. En ce moment, on essaie de faire du recrutement intensif à gauche et à droite pour justement tasser ces gens-là qui ne sont pas vaccinés. Mais moi, je vois des médecins, des infirmiers infirmières qui doutent du vaccin actuel. Euh... Le, le COVID, c'est quelque chose que les gens en sortent, en, en guérissent à 99,9 Donc, euh, pourquoi mettre ces gens-là à pied? Je pense que les conséquences sont beaucoup plus grandes que de dire on ne va pas accepter les travailleurs qui n'ont pas de passe vaccinale. Mais quand même, on est protégé un peu. Avec notre source de revenus, on a droit probablement sur certaines démarches comme assurance salaire. Et ça, c'est... On, voir, on va voir à l'avenir, mais quand même, on compte sur cette organisation parce que, comme on voit, on est plusieurs. Ça donne le courage et ça donne espoir. Et on croit qu'on va, on va gagner 27, 27 octobre d'un cours. Honnêtement, j'ai aucune idée. Je magasine d'autres emplois présentement. Moi, je pense qu'il va arriver la même chose qui est arrivée. Ça ne ça ça, ça se peut pas qu'en 30 jours, ils trouvent 11 000 ou 27 000 personnes qui manquent en ce moment dans le système de la santé parce qu'ils en manquaient déjà avant. C'est impossible qu'en 30 jours, ça arrive ou que, comme ils parlent de, de faire venir des immigrants ou des travailleurs euh, outre-mer, en 30 jours, je ne crois pas que ça va être possible que ça soit fait. Il va peut-être en trouver quelques-uns, mais ce ne sera pas assez pour la perte. Je crois que les gens qui ne sont pas vaccinés en ce moment... Ils ne feront pas plus parce qu'ils ont 30 jours de plus. Ils avaient pris leur décision. Leur décision, il faut qu'ils la, qu la gardent. Ce serait important qu'on se tienne encore. Puis pas parce qu'ils ont 30 jours de plus qu'ils vont aller se faire donner deux vaccins, je pense. Moi aussi, je me pose vraiment la question. Je me dis, vont-ils refaire comme qu'ils viennent de nous faire? Là, ils nous font peur pendant 30, un autre 30 jours, puis qu'on n'endort pas, on fait de l'insomnie, puis là, on se dit que si je fais, je me trouve tu autre chose? où ils vont nous refaire la, le même jeu la dernière minute, là, puis là, ils vont nous rappeler à la dernière seconde pour dire, oh, bien là, t'es es, es sur l'horaire, faut que tu rentres. Je me pose vraiment la question. Je, je pense qu'ils vont encore nous faire la, la même affaire, je pense, mais d'un autre sens, M. Dubé, il parle la face, là. Vraiment, vraiment. Fait que je sais pas. Je sais pas. Fois, c'est ça. Comme ma collègue dit, c'est la même chose, son... son... Sont, euh, sont pris avec ça. Ils ont, ils ont, ils ont entré dans un, un engrenage qui, sont, qui va être difficile d'arrêter parce que, justement, comme, comme ma collègue dit, je pense pas qu'il y a personne qui va décider de se faire vacciner dans les 30 prochains jours puis ils réussiront pas à aller chercher du monde ailleurs. Puis la problématique, qu ce qu'on essaie de leur faire comprendre, c'est qu'on est là. On aime notre travail. C'est ça qui est triste là-dedans. On aime notre travail et la seule chose qu'on demande, c'est de le conserver et de continuer à aider la population. C'est tout ce qu'on demande. C'est simple. Et euh, on n'est pas aussi dangereux qu'ils disent. Euh, ça fait euh, quoi environ 18 mois que la pandémie est là partout dans le monde. Puis euh, moi, pour ma part, on n'a jamais vécu la paramédecine hors COVID. Ça fait environ un an et trois mois qu'on est paramédic. Puis on a, on a commencé là-dedans. Puis à cause du gouvernement, on, 
on est à risque de finir là-dedans. Mais on n'a jamais, jamais nuit à personne, on n'a jamais senti qu'on a nuit à personne. Au contraire, c'est ça notre métier, d'aider les gens. Puis je ne comprends pas pourquoi on était là depuis le début, 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 puis là, on serait dangereux. Pourquoi tout d'un coup, on ne serait pas correct? The demonstration was coming to a hand in front of the Parliament of Quebec when François Melega spoke, wanting to demonstrate to the population that Act 105, prohibiting all demonstration in front of school and hospital, had no place to be, and that it was possible to do so peacefully. He therefore invited people who wished to join him as far as the hospital, the Hôtel Dieu de Québec, in order to exercise the right to protest. police therefore created a human chain in order to block access to the institution. All went well except one independent journalist who ended up being arrested and another man too. So it's been a really great and exciting day. It was really nice to see all the frontline workers all gathering together for the same cause. They were from different fields of work but they were there against the mandatory vaccine. It get really crazy. A lot of people were there for on support to them. So it was Alexa for Urban News. If you agree with all these frontline workers and if you are against the mandatory vaccine, please go to fightvaccinepassport.com and if you can, please make a donation.